Chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Thank you for being in the Bible so well. My name is Paul, I haven't met you. It's lovely to be here tonight, and a welcome to those who are in the overflow and online. I want to pray first as we come to God's word, so please pray. Father, thank you for a dry and a safe building to meet in tonight. Thank you for the privilege of meeting with brothers and sisters to, to worship you and to praise you. And we do pray for many around the world who do not enjoy that freedom. Lord, would you nourish them, sustain them, and equip them. And thank you, Lord, that we have our, your word in our own tongue. Please, would you soften our hearts and quieten our minds. Would you show us glorious truths in your word tonight? Lord, we don't want to leave this building unchanged. And so we ask, Spirit of God, be our teacher. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. I love this psalm. It's on the screen, Psalm 133, verse 1. It says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. How good it is when Christians come together united, how good it is when Christians who are so different in our personalities come together as one united in Christ. Now, how good it is when Christians from different cultures, different backgrounds, different countries, different traditions live together as one in Christ. How good is that? How good it is when Christians who think really differently on a whole load of secondary issues, their music in church, mode of baptism, 
the role of men and women in church, spiritual gifts, spiritual disciplines, how good it is when we can come together and say, what, say you know what? We might disagree, but we're one in Christ. How good is that? How good it is when I can say, Christ died for me and Christ died for you. How good it is I can say that I've experienced the mercy of God and so have you. I'm living my life as a living sacrifice and so are you. And so we might disagree, but that's okay. Because we're family, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. How good is that? I love that verse. But I think perhaps we should rewrite it. We should say how good and pleasant it would be if Christians could live together in unity. Is that a fair comment? Because the sad reality is that for many Christians, we are much, much better at dividing than we are at uniting. We are so good at fighting and disputing and disagreeing with each other than we are embracing and accepting each other. There's a wonderful book on church history. It's called Great Church Fights. A whole book dedicated to church splits and fights and factions. And you know what? 95% of church splits do not happen over doctrinal matters. We're not fighting over justification by faith or the authority of Scripture. We're disagreeing on secondary issues like governance structures or baptisms or spiritual gifts. Why are we so good at fighting? It is damaging. It is damaging to God's church when we fight like this. And many a man or woman have sat in church and they felt condemned and judged and almost bullied into doing something against their conscience. That is wrong. It is damaging to God's church. It is damaging to God's gospel because the watching world out there does not see the peace and unity that Jesus brings. All they see is Christians behaving badly. It would be great if we could unite over these things. But there's something about our human nature, isn't there? That we always think we're always right about everything. <laughs> As you know, I was 40 when I got married. And so I thought that my way was the right way. <laughs> I mean, who knew there were two ways to stack a dishwasher? <laughs> Who'd have thought that? Who knew there were two ways to put a knife in a knife block, blade up or blade down? Who'd have thought that? Who knew that other people actually put the water in a saucepan to boil the water for their past and not boil the kettle? Who'd have thought that? And so I coined a phrase, it's not wrong, just different. It's not wrong, it's just different. And I actually think that's the thrust of Romans 14 and 15. It's not wrong, it's just different. Now Christians can disagree on lots of issues without being disagreeable. We can love each other even when we disagree. And the key verse is Romans 15, verse 7. This is your memory verse for the week. Romans 15, verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. He said accept each other. He doesn't say tolerate each other or put up with each other. He doesn't say 
correct each other, preach at each other, and try to persuade them that you're always right. He doesn't say write them off, slag them off, ignore them, force them out of the church and split the church. He says live together in harmony, accept each other. That word accept, it means to, to welcome, to receive, to embrace with love and with kindness. He's saying, yes, you might think differently, but open your hearts, open your homes, bring them into your circle of love because Christ has accepted them. So who are you to reject them? So accept them. And Paul highlights these two groups of people in these chapters. He calls them the, the strong and the weak. 14 verse 1, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Or, or 15 verse 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failures of the weak and not to please ourselves. So you've got the strong and you've got the weak. And he's not talking about physical strength. He's not talking about a strong personality versus a timid personality. He's not talking about people who are more vulnerable to temptations. And he's not talking about doctrine. This is not the false teachers of Galatians. Now he's talking about our consciences. So the strong Christians are the men and women who are so confident you are justified by faith in Christ alone, by grace alone, and you know you have this complete freedom in Christ. You're fully free. But it's almost like you don't really care how your freedom impacts other people. Now, the weak believers, they, they, they are fully saved, they do love Jesus, but they have this tender conscience and they still feel the pull of certain rules or rituals. And this is the problem. Whilst the weak might be a bit insecure and sensitive, the strong in church can be abusive and powerful, immovable and stubborn. And the strong sort of look down on the weak and the weak always condemn the strong. And instead of harmony in God's church, you have hostility. But according to Paul, we are debating, we are divided over what he calls disputable matters. See those two words in verse 1? They are key words. 14 verse 1, disputable matters. Uh, the word there is debatable, it's doubtful, it's the, it's the grey areas of Christian life. It's the things that are not commanded in Scripture, nor condemned by Scripture, and Christians can disagree on them. There might be cultural, there might be a personal preference, it might be a freedom issue. Now the problem with preaching this passage is that the examples are not as clear as they were in Paul's day. If Paul was preaching this sermon to his church, before him there'd be Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And so you've got these Jewish men and women who have come from a Jewish heritage, a Jewish tradition, and they've met Jesus, they're fully converted, but they're finding it really hard to leave behind their traditions of food laws or Sabbath days or festivals. Verse 2, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, so they're eating pork sandwiches and shellfish, but another person whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, these Jewish born-again believers, they, they know that Jesus declared all food clean. They know that. They know that it's not what you put into your mouth that makes you unclean. What comes out of your heart makes you unclean. They know all of that. But for some, it's still hard, and they can't bring themselves to eat pork. So what's the solution? I know. Let's have a church split. Let's have the church of the carnivores and a church of the vegetarians. Is that the answer? 
course not. Accept each other, he says. It's not wrong, it's just different. What about holy days? Verse 5, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. So you've got people in church and they're saying, you must keep Sunday special, no sport on Sunday, no shopping on Sunday. And you've got another believer who's saying, my kids can play sport and I can go to Woolworths. And that's the problem because the weak can feel judged and the strong can feel proud. So what do you do there? Let's have a church split. Let's form the Freedom Church and the Sabbatarian churches. No, accept each other, love each other. It's not wrong, it's just different. Why do we always think that our way is always the right way and the only way? Why are there so many hurting Christians out there reeling from church fights? Why do we communicate, look as I look and do as I do, and then and only then will I have fellowship with you? It's okay, and it's more than okay. It is right, it is good when Christians disagree on disputable matters. Let me clarify verse 1. He's not talking about doctrine. He is not talking about core doctrinal issues. He is not saying, just welcome anybody and everybody, no matter what they believe. He's not saying, accept the person who says you're justified by works and not by faith. That's not a dis- disputable matter. Now, Paul spent the first 11 chapters of Romans defending doctrines of sin and wrath and justification and sanctification and election and assurance. And and we as a church need to protect those truths, defend those truths. He's not talking about core doctrine and he's not talking about clear scriptural behavioural matters. God's word clearly says in Ephesians, get rid of all bitterness and malice and rage and slander and gossip. So gossip in church is not a disputable matter, that's a scriptural matter. So it's not doctrine, it's not behavioural scriptural matters, he's talking about freedom matters, preferences, cultural traditions, the grey areas that Christians have and always will disagree on. So what are they? What are these disputable matters for our church? Let me put my head right on the line. I think music is a disputable matter. Some people love hymns and some people love Hillsong. As long as it is scripturally true, it it doesn't matter what we sing. Some people choose to do this in worship and some people choose to do this. It's not wrong, it's just different. What about baptism? That's disputable. Should you sprinkle or should you fully immerse? Should you baptise a baby or baptise an adult? It's not wrong, it's just different. What about communion? Should we take communion every week, once a month, once a year? Should we come to the rails and take communions? Should you have it in your seat? Should you have grape juice? Should you have wine? It's all disputable. What about alcohol? What about alcohol? Should, Should Christians never drink? Or only drink in moderation? How how do you love the teetotaler in church? What about schooling? Should Christians send their kids to public school, private school, Christian schools, homeschooling? What about the verse in the Bible you read? Must you only read the ESV or the NIV or, or dare I say, the message? (sighs) 
What about Sundays? Do you shop on a Sunday? Do you do sport on a Sunday? Is always Sunday special? What about dress in church? Is it okay to come to church with shorts and thongs or barefoot? Must I wear a clerical collar on a Sunday? What about divorce? What about divorce? The damage done by strong Christians who have made divorcees feel so condemned and so small. And dare I say, what about women? To preach or not to preach, that is the question. I think that's a disputable matter. We can agree to disagree. And as I go down that list, I'm sure there are people in front of me tonight or at home saying, no, 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 that is black and white. That is not grey, that is black and white to me. Because for some believers, everything is disputable, and there's, there's no black and white, but for many believers, especially in Sydney, Nothing is disputable. Everything is black and white. You've got a chapter and verse for everything. You have no grey. For me, a disputable matter is, is it a salvation issue? If not, then that's okay. And Paul is urging us in these chapters tonight to accept each other, not divide, not hurt, not badger, not tear people down, but to coexist as family. You ever that feeling where you... You walk into a church and you feel like you're, you're sitting a secret exam. And the questions people are asking you, they're almost trying to work out whether you are sound enough to join their church. Some churches make it more difficult to join their church, ticking all the boxes on these disputable matters, than it is to join the kingdom of God. And I believe that these chapters are so important for our church at this moment in history. Because we are growing and growing and growing And we have different people from different cultures and different church backgrounds and different opinions. And as as I was preparing this sermon this week, I was thinking to myself, Paul, I wished I'd preached this sermon to myself 21 years ago when I left Bible college as an arrogant, proud 30-year-old with biblical theology under my arm. And everything to me was so black and white. And I want to apologize for anybody in this room or anybody watching online who I hurt by my arrogance. It was pride. I thought I was right on everything. It was selfish. I wanted things done my way, my way or the highway. And it was immaturity because there's more grey in the scriptures than we give it credit for. And actually it was a spiritual issue. It was a spiritual issue because I wasn't allowing God to teach me the, the beauty and the, the breadth of his Worldwide diverse church. So that's the principle. Accept each other, even when you think differently. How do you do it? I've got two A's for you. I've got your attitude and your actions. In your attitude, says Paul, lose the arrogance. Lose the arrogant attitude. Look at verse 3, 14, 3. The one who eats everything, the carnivore, must not treat with contempt the one who does not. That word contempt is a strong word. It means to utterly despise, to regard them as nothing, to treat them as trash. How dare we do that to a brother or sister in Christ? But, verse 3, the one who doesn't eat everything, the vegetarian, must not judge the one who does. We mustn't go, tut, tut, tut. How dare they do that? Now, here's the principle, verse 3, for God has accepted them. That's the truth. 
I hope you know that, that God is God and you are not. God is God and we are not. So please don't play God. Please don't think you know more than God. If God has accepted this person who thinks differently, if God has had mercy on those people who think differently, if they're justified, if they're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, if they are free from God's wrath, then who are we to reject and condemn them? How dare we think that that we are more holy than God or we know more than God? Let's start treating people the way that God has treated them and God has accepted them and so should we. And I do wonder whether there'll be a lot more surprises in heaven of, of, of brothers and sisters who we've written off because they think slightly differently. Now, God has accepted them. That's the attitude. And God is their master, not you. That's your attitude. Verse 4, I love verse 4. Uh, who are you? Who are you to judge someone else's servant? They're not your servant. They don't belong to you. You're not their master. No, to their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord, who is their master, is able. The word there is powerful, it's dynamite word, is able to make them stand. They belong to God. God is their master. Jesus is their Lord, not you. I think Christians, church, we are very good at lording it over people and think that people belong to us. They don't, they belong to Jesus. Can I have a word for anyone watching tonight or listening tonight who is a teacher in God's church. Our role as teachers, as leaders, as pastors, as preachers is to teach and defend doctrinal truths and and to enable and equip the believers to sit under the word of God and allow the word of God to shape and change their behavior in a way that's honoring to God. That's our role, full stop. Our role is not, it is not, it is not, it is not to coerce people into thinking exactly the way that we think on all these secondary issues. That's called spiritual abuse. If what I see happening in the UK right now, spiritual abuse is going to be massive here in Sydney. We are not the masters of our people, Jesus is. To let people serve the Lord with a clear conscience. That's Paul's argument in verse 5. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. So he says, switch on your brain, open your Bibles, sit with the word of God carefully and prayerfully, do your work, and if you are persuaded this is the right thing to do and it's helpful for you and you can do it thanking God for it, verse 6, then you are free to do it. But please, please, please don't do anything against your own conscience. It's a conscience issue. Let's take Sundays. There are many, many, many born-again, evangelical, Bible-believing men and women of God, athletes, sports stars, who say they should not compete on a Sunday. Their conscience won't allow them, so respect them for that. And there are equally many, many athletes who do compete on Sundays, born-again believers, respect them for that. It's just different. Let's take baptism. I do think the Bible is clear that if you're a believer, then baptism is a a great thing where you publicly declare your faith. But whether you're sprinkled or or fully immersed, we can disagree on that. Let's take alcohol. I think the Bible is very clear that we shouldn't get drunk. But the Bible also says take a little wine for your stomach. And so if, if you're here today as a teetotaler and that's your conscience, good on you. We respect you for that. Uh, 
If you're here today saying it's okay to drink a little, that's also okay. It's a matter of conscience. And so when you see people through this lens of, of God has accepted them and God is their master and they're living according to their conscience and then God is their judge, not you. Verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you stand on that bench and play the part of their judge? Why do you place people in your dock with your laws and your expectations? You might be right and they might be wrong, but let God be the judge. Because end of the day, verse 10, we'll all stand before God's judgment seat. There will be a judgment day. It'll be universal, verse 11, every knee will bow. It will be individual, verse 12, because each of us will give an account. But let God be the judge, not you. God makes a far better judge than any human being. Because God's judgment is always right, always fair, always just. He knows everything, he sees everything, so let him judge. So let's spend less time policing other people and more time just pursuing our own godliness. Why do you think that you're good at judging other people? I think often we, we are quick to judge others because spotting the flaws in other people is far easier than dealing with the flaws in ourselves. And Jesus talking about that, didn't he? Jesus spoke about a plank and a speck. Let Jesus be the judge. Change your attitude. This is a brother or sister, and God has accepted them. God is their master. God is their judge, and I'm going to love them because we're family. I love the story of the, the family breakdown, and sadly it was over money. And this father and the son had this massive row over money. And they were disputing and fighting. And they were in bed one night in their bedrooms. And neither could sleep. And they both came downstairs at roughly the same time. And they said, this is, this is crazy. This is silly. We're family. And so they made up and they forgave each other. And they hugged each other. And it was a beautiful moment. Until the son said this. Hey, Dad. Remember that time we were fishing on a lake in the blue boat? And the dad said, no, son, it was a green boat. No, 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 it was, it was definitely blue. No, it was green. No, it was blue. No, it was green. No, it was blue. And they had this massive row over the color of a stupid boat. And often I think, church, we have these massive fights and squabbles over really secondary matters. Let, let, let's fight for the primary truth, not these disputable matters. Let's live as family. Let's love each other. So watch your attitude and watch your actions. More briefly, Paul says, let love limit your liberty. Let love limit your liberty. He says, love those for whom Christ dies. Think about your actions. Think about your words. Think about what you're going to do and ask, is this going to tear somebody down or cause someone to stumble? Love them. Think before you act. Verse 13, therefore, let's stop passing judgment. Instead, make up your mind, make a deliberate choice not to put any stumbling block. That, that word is an, an unintentional thing. Or obstacle, that word is an intentional thing. No stumbling block, no obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Do, do nothing, say nothing that's going to cause somebody else to stumble in their faith. He says, verse 14, I'm, I'm convinced, I'm fully persuaded, says Paul, says the Apostle Paul. I'm utterly persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ I can eat anything. But 
If another person regards something as unclean, then to them it is unclean. And so if your brother or sister is distressed, verse 15, the word there is grieved, is saddened because of what you eat, surely their soul is more important than your food. So you're no longer acting in love. If you're flaunting your freedom but causing them to be distressed, that is not loving. No, do not by your eating destroy. That's a very strong word. Don't destroy someone for whom Christ has died. The word destroy is the word devilish. Don't act like Satan and cause someone to wander, to question and to doubt because you're flaunting your freedom. See the law of love? The most loving thing to do in church is to forfeit your freedom, forfeit your rights for the sake of a brother or sister. So I'm fully persuaded, I'm fully persuaded that I do not need to wear a clerical collar on a Sunday. But you know what? Every single Sunday at 8am church, I wear one. Why? Because it's loving for the people who gather at 8 o'clock. I'm fully persuaded I can wear an earring but you know what? There are people in church who are distracted by it. And so when I see certain people coming to church, I take it out. It's a loving thing to do. I'm fully persuaded it's okay to have the occasional glass of wine in moderation. But in our house, we don't serve alcohol when people come around unless people bring a bottle themselves or unless we know that they drink. I hope you know that Kirby Church is a dry site. It's an alcohol-free zone. But sadly, that was one of the most divisive parish council meetings I've been at. All these leaders in church saying, no, 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 Paul, we are free to drink. It's my right to drink. And of course we could drink. And the world is drinking. And I said, but is it loving? I kept saying, do you know how many recovering alcoholics we have in our church? You're causing a brother or sister to stumble when you walk into church. And alcohol is present. The loving thing to do is say, it's okay. Of course I'm free to drink, but it's good to have a dry sight here. See, the damage that we can do when we just flaunt our freedom and we don't love people well. So don't damage God's people for the sake of a piece of meat or a drink of wine. No, verse 19, make every effort, pursue peace. Make decisions, make choices that build other people at mutual edification. Build up God's people. Don't tear them down. How dare we tear down what God has united? If Jesus came and, and smashed down that wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, between rich and poor, who are we to build wars again? I love the story of the farmer who had these fences around his field and all these neighbouring farmers were saying, they are so ugly, they're such an eyesore. And he said, it's okay, you know, once the crops grow, you'll never see them. And he's right. If we as Christians actually bore more of the fruit of the Spirit and we have the crops of righteousness and peace and joy in our life, we wouldn't be so obsessed by all these dividing things. We'd actually pursue unity and peace and mutual edification. And if you want an example of the best way to do that, look at the Lord Jesus Christ. 15 verse 3, even Christ did not please himself. He didn't go to the cross for himself. He went for you. He was thinking about you. And so if we're entering church and we're entering our church family, thinking about other people and not just ourselves, then we might just do things differently. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if you came to church with an attitude of, how can I worship Jesus? How can I think about other people? And yourself came last. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself, joy. That's it. So friends, stop fighting. Accept each other. Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. See that last phrase? In order to bring praise to God, that's our motivation. The praise of God, the adoration, the glory, the majesty of God. Because God is most glorified when he sees brothers and sisters united over what's important and free to disagree on these secondary matters. The church is a beautiful place. We need each other. In all our messiness, in all our diversity, it's beautiful. It's okay to think differently. The Queen's had a rough week, hasn't she? But you know, when I ever go back to London, I walk past Buckingham Palace, and you see the standard flag flying. Ever seen that? When the flag is flying, it says to me, the Queen's in residence, the Queen is home. I want to encourage you, church, us, church, to fly the flag of Christ over our own lives, to have the flag of Christ over your head every moment of every day, to think like Christ, to act like Christ. And if he was willing to sacrifice himself for you, then surely you're willing to lay down a right for the sake of a brother or sister. No, it is lovely, it is wonderful, it is beautiful. When brothers and sisters live together in unity, how good is that? And my prayer is that this church might be a church that actually models that. It's good and pleasant when we live in unity. So I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to pray Romans 15 verses 5 to 7 over us as a church. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give us the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And church, may we accept one another just as Christ accepted us in order to bring praise to our glorious God.